Welcome to the Foresight Health Roundup podcast, Foresight Health's podcast series for healthcare revolutionaries. Outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Hello again, everyone. This is Dave Burda, news editor at Foresight Health. It is Thursday, June 22nd. Astronomical summer, not meteorological summer, began yesterday. I didn't know the difference until I looked it up online. I did know that it was the summer solstice yesterday. That's when daylight ends at the exact time I go to bed. There's a joke in there somewhere. What's not funny is national health care spending. We ended last week's show with a cliffhanger when Dave Johnson, founder and CEO of Foresight Health, said CMS projects that national health expenditures will hit $7.2 trillion in 2031. So we're going to pick up exactly where we left off last week and talk about national health care spending, along with Julie Merchantson, partner at Transformation Capital. Hi, Dave. Hi, Julie. How are you guys doing this morning? Dave? Doing great. Putting on my green eye shades, getting ready to talk healthcare numbers and stats. What could be more fun? Thanks, Dave. Julie, how are you? I am well. It's a beautiful day in Boston, but I have decided to turn my last week of emotional roller coaster at the volleyball tournament into health. And I just want to report that I clocked eight to 12,000 steps a day at the volleyball tournament. And get this, at Disney, Disney's up to something here, 21 to 24,000 steps a day. That's like 10 miles, 12 miles. It's amazing. Everyone should go to Disney. Wow. <laughs> wow. Health report. Yeah. Now, maybe I think we talked about this before. What's your favorite ride there? Oh, that's a really hard one. Honestly, the Rise of the Resistance and the Avatar ride at Animal Kingdom. Wow. Yeah. Both of which I could throw up on, but. Yeah, I stayed off that Avatar one because, uh, yeah, motion sickness would uh, would take care of me for the rest of the trip. So, uh, all right. Good to have you back. Thank you. Uh, now, before we talk about national health care spending, let's talk about this summer solstice business. Dave, did you know there was a difference between astronomical and meteorological summer? And do you celebrate the summer solstice in any way? I did. Astronomical seasons change based on the Earth's position relative to the sun. Meteorological seasons change based on temperature cycles. But who really cares? For me, it's like bond math calculations for interest. 30 over 360 versus actual, actual 360 over 365. Told you that I'd be ready to discuss numbers today, Dave. But <laughs> regarding summer celebrations, I'm with Sly Stone and like hot fun in the summertime. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All, oh, right. My goodness. <laughs> All right. I didn't expect that, but you never do. No, you never do. Thank you. Julie, how about you? Uh, did you know the difference between the two summers and do you mark the occasions in any way? I did not know the difference, but living in the Pacific Northwest, we celebrate summer like nobody's business. And the Fremont neighborhood has a big Fremont festival, which you can imagine in Seattle, all sorts of freaks and crazies come out, but it is quite a party. <laughs> all right. Have fun. Sly Stone will be there. <laughs> That's possible. <laughs> You never know. Like I said, I didn't know the difference between the two summers. As for the summer solstice, I had a friend who had a summer solstice party every year and did so for a very long time. But you had to bring your own chair, 
your own food and your own alcohol. And then after a few years, I thought, what's the point? And I could do this at home without the long drive. So I stopped going. What hasn't stopped going up, and there's your transition, is national healthcare spending. Last week, CMS came out with its national health expenditure projections. Here are some of the key numbers. National health expenditures will reach $7.2 trillion in 2031. That's up from a projected $4.7 trillion this year. Health spending will eat up 19.6% of our GDP by 2031. That's up from a projected 17.6% this year. The fastest growing costs in terms of services this year are for hospital inpatient care, up 9.3%, and for home care, up 7.5%. And the fastest growing costs in terms of payers this year are Medicare, up 8%, and nipping at Medicare's heels is private health insurers at 7.7%. Those are some of the numbers that jumped out at me. Dave, what numbers jumped out at you? Do you think CMS's projections are overstated or understated? And what does the data tell you about how to attack the problem from a policy perspective and bend the cost curve down? Well, first, Dave, I've got a visual regarding your summer parties. Mm -hmm. Did you wear a toga to the solstice parties? <laughs> no, no. The togas were optional. Uh, the, other <laughs> the other three were mandatory. The chair, the food, and the booze. I got to tell you, the visual just won't go away, but I probably should talk healthcare numbers, right? So <laughs> when did CMS get into the horror story business? Uh, Freddy Krueger is lurking somewhere in the footnotes of the uh, of the latest forecast. God help the United States of America if we're at $7.2 trillion in healthcare expenditures by 2031, eating up a gargantuan 20% of the economy. But let's dig into the forecast a bit. The short-term expenditures through the year 2023 look accurate to me. Healthcare costs in 2022, 2023, are growing slower than the overall rate of inflation. This gets us to healthcare consuming 17.4% of the economy in 2022 and 17.6% in 2023. And this gets us exactly back to where we've been absent COVID since 2015, right in that mid 17% range. Uh, as I've said before, I believe in and around 17.5% of the economy is an inflection point for healthcare spending. It may go up a little bit, maybe peak at 18% before the decline happens, but that decline will happen for a whole host of macro and market factors that we've, we've talked about previously. It's when we get to 2024 that the CMS forecasters go off the rails, in my opinion. They're doing straight line forecasting, assuming the next year will always look like the previous year. This traditional approach to forecasting, and I, I really can't blame them for doing it this way, but this traditional approach misses inflection points. That's when markets disrupt and change. Um, if you always think next year is going to look like last year, you're going to miss the freight train coming straight at you. How's that for keeping a metaphor going, Dave? Nice, nice. The equivalent of this approach would be to look at long-term growth forecasts in the hospitality industry 
before web-based travel sites like Travelocity got going, future growth matched past growth. I mean, do you think anybody in the year 2000 even imagined a company like Airbnb, let alone you know, realizing that it would have a market capitalization greater than the four largest hotel chains as it does today? I don't think so. The most entertaining projections, Dave, for me, were the ones you highlighted about hospitals. Absent massive government intervention, which won't happen, expenditures in hospitals will decrease as care shifts to new modalities and medicine gets better at prevention. Go ahead, health systems, keep building new $1 billion patient towers, see what happens. And while you're at it, look up this word in your dictionary, disintermediation. It will help you a lot as you go to your psychiatric visits. Can you imagine, Dave, Julie, what would happen if CMS actually put forward a realistic forecast on expenditures that incorporated some of the market forces that are completely shifting supply-demand patterns? If they did, I think all hell would break loose. You're basically saying the CMS actuaries are a little lazy. Yeah, well, they're being actuaries. Um, (laughs) Thanks, Dave. Julie, any questions for Dave? Well, Dave, you know, a lot of people weighed in on their recommendations for how to deal with the sky is falling. And AHIP, of course, went right after hospital consolidation. And, you know, I get it for all the reasons we've talked about here around consolidation, driving up pricing, et cetera. But at the end of the day, regulators could do a lot to enable what's going to be natural consolidation with everything else going on in the rural markets, et cetera. And, you know, avoiding some of this accompanying negotiating power. Uh, Do you see ways in which we can have it both ways? Well, first, AHIP, there's no honor among thieves, right? It's it's interesting that they called for greater regulation of hospitals, but totally neglected the monopsony pricing that insurers enjoy in many markets in the country. So you know me, Julie, I'm I'm in favor of pro-market level field competition and think the government should be doing everything it can to make that a reality. The government should be thinking about how to how to right-size hospitals in ways that promote value. I do believe that pressure to restrain cost growth will originate more outside in than either inside out from incumbents or from regulators. The primary drivers will be risk-based retail models like CVS that fundamentally change healthcare supply demand dynamics, align provider interests with patient and consumer interests and generally result in lower healthcare expenditure and a healthier, more productive population. Yeah, it's hard to unscramble the eggs, right, on consolidation. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Thanks, Dave. Julie, what numbers in the CMS projections jumped out at you? Do you think the numbers are legit, overinflated or underinflated? And what do the numbers tell you about the best way to attack the spending problem from a market innovation perspective? Well, when I think about the boomer population trends and the hospital strategy we've just been talking about and inflation alone, I mean, these numbers could really be legit. We have another five to seven years of boomers moving into Medicare and a couple more decades of healthcare consumption by that generation. And 
inflation has not just impacted, you know, the massive labor costs that we have in healthcare, but the non-labor costs and supplies and other key goods used in care delivery have shot up, you know, dramatically with COVID and supply chain issues and the like. So I, I get it. But I have to say two things. One is my work record around innovation. So Dave, you and I will see eye to eye on this. The other is I talked to Joe Newhouse yesterday, a health economist at Harvard, who's also on the NCQA board. And he's writing a paper as we speak about whether and how the trends that the U.S. has experienced in the last decade and is looking at in the next decade are similar to the OECD countries, which makes me think that all this swapping we have about the accountable payer in our own market may just be exactly what it is, kind of a shell game for us. So I don't know. It's I'm no health economist, that's for sure. So Dave, my soapbox is all about technology and pharmacological innovation, actually. And listen, if I'm CMS and I'm trying to make a point and get people to act, and I haven't really been able to get a lot of the innovation priced into how the CBO and others think about where healthcare costs are headed, then you know, we're not going to be able to price in things that we know are already happening. So AI, we've talked about, it's already being used in all sorts of administrative and clinical ways and will continue to be, to do so, you know, certainly around alerts and just management in ways that things aren't managed today in the healthcare environment. And that's only going to accelerate, especially with generative AI. It won't be used in direct care in ways that people are talking about for a long time, but there'll be so many ways in which it will be able to advance what we do to facilitate care. So I think things are changing so much more rapidly than we really see. And frankly, none of that's priced in. When you take some of what that can do to clinical research and you look at what's happened already in terms of our ability to really seek solutions and cures in different populations based on what we can do analytically today, we're turning clinical research on its head, like right in front of our very eyes. And I don't know, I, I still think that we're seeing virtual make its way into delivery in ways that are making sense for the incumbents. And we're going to see that happen at more reasonable rates than what's been paid for during COVID. So all of these, you know, technical innovations will have a massive impact. And then I get to pharma. You know, clinical research acceleration is one thing. Pharma is putting out curative drugs. And when we look at Yes, we have to do a lot around the pricing of drugs that are coming out and what justifies price for a curative drug. But we have the ability to actually start to weigh how to think about what we pay for because there's such new interventions. It's not just the old machine. So I think there's a lot here that isn't priced in. And frankly, like researchers don't even know exactly what the prescription drug negotiation and the inflation rebate provisions, how that's going to lower spending. So there's a lot we don't know. So I'm kind of on the side of Dave, like maybe the next couple of years are pretty accurate, but in the out years, it just doesn't seem even remotely correct. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know what you don't know. And I'm just wondering when you had time to talk to this economist, were you like in line at Thunder Mountain Railroad or something? <laughs> oh my gosh. We were at the Reagan National Airport waiting for our flight back to Boston last night. <laughs> He's lovely. <laughs> That's great. Immediate. I will say, though, that I really couldn't understand a word he's saying. He's really just so ridiculously <laughs> smart. 
<laughs> so, you know. That's great. I love it. Thanks, Julie. Dave, any questions for Julie? Julie never sleeps. You know, the healthcare curiosity is boundless. You know, Julie, uh, Yogi was right. Predictions are difficult, especially about the future, but that's not going to stop me from putting you on the spot a little bit, at least. So I'm thinking about Lincoln's better and lesser angels of our nature. Do you think these CMS projections will stimulate more beneficial or more detrimental investment in shaping the healthcare industry's capacity to deliver value-based care? Are we going to see even more investment in revenue cycle management, or will this start to tilt us toward ever more value-based investment? Well, you know, I'd like to think that the sky is falling in these numbers because we have to move towards some sort of value base. And digitization will only allow us to get more granular in our ability to look at performance and be able to tie performance to payment. So I'd like to think we're moving in that direction. The whiplash you've experienced in the last 18 months, I think, has a lot of people exhausted. So I think, frankly, it's going to be both, Dave. <laughs> I think we're walking down the path of figuring out what will be fee for service for a long time, if not forever, and where can we actually build, you know, value models that can stand. Got it. Very interesting. Thanks, Julie. Well, I'm not an actuary, but I am a consumer. And the fact that out-of-pocket spending will rise at a slower pace than overall spending, I think, is a good thing if it really happens. We'll see you in 2031 for a follow-up podcast, right? You'll see what happens to these numbers. That's right. All right. Let's briefly talk about other big healthcare news this week. It wasn't all bad, was it? Julie, what else happened that we should know about? Well, this may be old news by now, but Mandy Cohen, who used to run DHS in North Carolina, is now going to be our next CDC leader. Very exciting for Mandy. She's an incredible public health, healthcare thought leader, who uh, I think will approach the CDC from a different perspective than many of the deep, you know, infectious disease scientists who have come before her. So I'm excited for her. Yeah, wish her well. That's a great appointment. Thanks, Julie. Dave, what other healthcare news is worth noting? Well, good for Mandy. Julie, thanks for highlighting that. She's fantastic. Dave, this isn't immediate, but I've just been struck by how much the courts are now shaping healthcare policy. That's certainly been true in the abortion debates and, you know, state-based policies as they're emerging. And this week, Big Pharma launched a challenge to Medicare's new power to negotiate drug prices. Lots of court shopping going on to get the most favorable judge. Is there possibly a worse way to design healthcare policy? Yeah, no, uh, that is one of the worst ways, if not the worst ways. I think you're right. Thanks, Dave. And thank you, Julie. That is all the time we have for today. If you'd like to learn more about the topics we discussed on today's show, please visit our website at foresighthealth.com. And don't forget to tell a friend about the Foresight Health Roundup podcast. Subscribe now and don't miss another segment of the best 20 minutes in healthcare. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Berta for Foresight Health.